This morning, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40, as today we continue our sermon series entitled, Blessed Assurance, a study in the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 21, we'll read through verse 40. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation." which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Have you noticed that seeing the Christ in our culture is becoming more challenging. What was once clear is now convoluted. Take, for example, the season we just experienced. What was once called Merry Christmas in our culture is now rendered Happy Holidays. A Christmas tree is now a holiday tree. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is portrayed at the stable right beside the cattle and the oxen. The Grinch who stole Christmas, or may I better with more political correctness say, the Grinch who redistributed the wealth of the happy holidays, that Grinch is portrayed right beside the wise men. What was once so clear is now convoluted. The lines have been blurred. I think that's what makes this story so refreshing. In Luke chapter 2, we are introduced to two individuals, and they see Christ. 
They see Christ for who he is, for the ancient of days had become the infant of days, and they readily recognize Jesus as the Christ. Luke begins our passage with a very succinct description of three religious rituals that would have taken place in the lives of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. The first one would have taken place about eight days after the birth of our Lord. For according to the law of Moses, on the eighth day, every male was circumcised and brought to the temple there in Jerusalem to be named. And then the second and third of the sacred services would have been done about 33 days after that. They would have been called the service of purification and the service of consecration. For once again, according to the Old Testament, the mother had to be purified. So in Leviticus chapter 13, we read that the mother was to uh, offer a lamb and a dove or pigeon to be offered up as a burnt offering and as a sin offering. The Levitical law gave this provision that if the mother could not afford a lamb, then she could offer two pigeons or two doves, one uh, as a burnt offering, the other as a sin offering. And Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph were obedient to the word of God, for they offered up, as is the custom, two pigeons or two doves. You think to yourself, Luke, why did you waste sacred scripture space to tell us those details? The reason he tells us that is to show us that Mary and Joseph are obedient to the word of God, obedient to the law of God. They're obedient to God because by his word, he told them independently, you're to give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Luke says to us, they were obedient to the messenger from the Lord, the angel himself. And also they're obedient to the Old Testament law for they take Jesus back and Mary is purified and Jesus is consecrated. Once again, in Exodus chapter 12, we are told that the first male of every family is to be consecrated unto the Lord. We are told that Mary and Joseph went back a couple of times to the temple in Jerusalem to go through the proper religious rituals that they offered up the proper animals, but they offered up two pigeons or two doves. Why, why tell us that? To show us that Jesus was born not in the lap of luxury, but rather in abject poverty. Mary and Joseph, they weren't the richest kids on the street. They didn't have a lot, but yet they were obedient to the very commands of God. Also, it has been noted by more than one individual that Luke is a masterful storyteller. And so it does not escape the irony of Luke that Mary, she doesn't offer up a lamb because she has the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. So she brings Jesus and she offers up two pigeons, two doves, one of which was uh, for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. They're obedient to the command of God. It's in this second trip to the temple in Jerusalem that we're introduced to the man named Simeon. We're not told much about Simeon. We don't know anything about his age. We assume, and probably accurately so, that Simeon was an old man. We don't know anything about his occupation, nothing about his profession, his employment. The only thing we do know is something about his spirituality. We are told that Simeon 
was righteous and devout. To say he's righteous is to say he's in right standing with God. To say he's devout is to say that he is faithful to the commands and the decrees of our Lord. So Simeon is a righteous man. He is a faithful, God-fearing person. Remember that Simeon is living in the days of divine silence. There have been 400 years of sovereign silence since the last prophet of God had spoken, the prophet named Malachi. Yet people like Simeon were still hopeful. They were still looking for the long-awaited Christ. We are told that the Spirit of God was upon Simeon. The Spirit of the Lord had said to Simeon, you will not die until you see my salvation. So I can only imagine that every day Simeon went to the temple. He went to stare at children. He went to look because the temple was teeming with young parents, parents that were bringing their sons for consecration. They were bringing their sons uh, for circumcision. They were bringing uh, uh, the mother, the father, bringing for purification. So every day, there were a lot of parents that were there at the temple complex. And I can only imagine that Simeon would go up and look at a child and wonder to himself, is that the Christ? Oh, is that the Christ? Or maybe, is that the Christ? You know, if we contemporize this story, we'd have to agree that uh, Simeon was uh, a little bit of a kook, right? I mean, I mean, if, if this were to happen in our day and time, people would really get uneasy with Simeon. I mean, if this, if this were to happen, I promise you the people would call the office, the people would ask me, they'd say, hey, who is the old creepy guy who hangs out at the nursery every Sunday and stares at little babies? I mean, we'd have to deal with that. We'd probably have to deal with Simeon. We would probably have to call the authorities because of Simeon. We would have to deal with him because in his day, he's there at the temple, he's at the church, and he's looking, wondering, is that the Christ? Is that the Christ? Is that the Christ? But on the day that Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus, we are told that Simeon was moved by the Spirit of God. And he went into the temple area. And Simeon, not even properly introducing himself to the mother and father, just goes up, scoops Jesus out of Mary's arms, takes him into his own arms, and begins to sing. I'm telling you, Simeon today would be arrested. I promise you. (laughs) Simeon begins to sing. This is the third song that's recorded in the opening two chapters of Luke's Gospel. The first song is sung by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. The second one is sung by Mary when she discovers that she is highly favored and what is conceived inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. And now this is the third person who's singing. It it makes me stop and realize that whenever you bump into Jesus, you just can't help but sing. You got a song in your spirit and it just has to get out. And so Simeon sings unto the Lord. He says, O sovereign Lord. Now I have seen your salvation. You may dismiss your servant in peace. Did did you hear what he said? To see Jesus is to see salvation. To know salvation must be to know Jesus. He says, I've seen your salvation. You can now dismiss me in peace. You have made good on your promise. For he is the light of the Gentiles. And he is the glory of Israel. Did you hear what Simeon was saying? He was saying, this is the Christ child, the sovereign savior of the entire world. 
Not just for a particular race of people, but he is the savior for every race, every place, and every face. He is the savior of all mankind. He's a light to the Gentiles. He is the glory of Israel. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And I've oftentimes wondered what tipped Simeon off to divinity. What made him aware that this is the Christ child? How did he know? He must have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of infant baby boys in his lifetime. How did he know that this one was the Christ? I don't think that Jesus, as an infant, uh, had a halo over his head. Even though the medieval portraits and pictures always portray him in that way, I don't think that Jesus literally had a halo constantly over his head. So how did Simeon know? Well, the scripture gives us a great insight. In verses 25, 26, and 27, there are three references to the Holy Spirit. My friends, you cannot recognize Jesus apart from the power of the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit that revealed unto Simeon, this is the Christ child. He is unique. He is unmatched. He is like no one else. He is the Christ child. So Simeon had the Spirit of God upon him. Simeon had been told by the Spirit, you will not die until you see the long-awaited Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he goes into the temple. Luke is saying, you cannot miss this. This is a Spirit-saturated story. It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. It's that Spirit that reveals the idea identity of Jesus. So Simeon goes and he proclaims this great song. But his message was not one that just gave warm fuzzies. He blessed Joseph and Mary. And turning to Mary, he said, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. What he's saying is that um, Jesus is divisive. You know, Jesus has always been divisive. I mean, public opinion is always mixed when it comes to Jesus. There's some people that love Jesus. There's some people that love to hate Jesus. That's true in the first century. It's still true in the 21st century. I mean, Jesus always gets mixed reviews. Jesus always uh, gets uh, uh, different people looking at him in different ways. And Simeon's exactly right. He is destined to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. What Simeon is saying is that some people will receive him, other people will reject him, but no one will be able to ignore him. And the statements of Simeon are as true today as they've ever been. Even in our culture, especially in our culture, there will be many who receive him. There will be many who reject him, but no one can ignore him. He is the Christ. He, you, you cannot act as if he did not exist. You cannot act as if he is insignificant. Either you receive him or you reject him, but you cannot ignore him. And then Simeon said to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What powerful prophetic words. I can only imagine how hard it was to try to parent perfection. How difficult that must have been for Mary and Joseph. I mean, we think as parents that we're going to impart some wisdom and knowledge unto our children. 
Yeah, right. You can't do that to Jesus. I mean, Jesus knows everything and he knows everything about everything. Now, even the very next passage, Luke gives us one of the very few snapshots of the childhood of Jesus. Jesus is uh, about 12 years old. It's time for the family to go to Jerusalem for Passover. And so Mary and Joseph and the family, they gather with all their other family and friends. They gather from Nazareth. They make their way to Jerusalem. They would have traveled in a large entourage, a a large caravan of individuals. They would have gone to the holy city. They would have enjoyed uh, all the festivities that go along with Passover. And after that seven-day activity, they would have packed up all their belongings to head back home. And Mary and Joseph packed up everything, well, almost everything. It took them a day to finally realize we forgot Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the stress of this? I mean, Mary and Joseph know that they're the parents of perfection. They know that Jesus has come to save the world. They know that he is God incarnate, and now they've lost the one who's going to redeem those who are lost. What in the world? Who's going to tell God about this one, right? I mean, who's going to fess up to this one? We just lost Jesus. Takes them a day to figure out that Jesus is not in their midst. And then it takes them another day to travel back to the sacred city. I would not have wanted to be in that caravan to hear that conversation. Mary says to Joseph, I thought you had him. Joseph says, no, Mary, I thought you had him. They go back and forth, back and forth. Mary's upset with Joseph. Joseph's upset with Mary. Mary said, well, if you were the spiritual leader of the household, this would not have happened. And Joseph says, well, you're the highly favored one. Why don't you use the force and find out where he is? (laughs) She says, you have no clue what you're talking about. And then she started to cry. I can't believe you said that to me. I can't. I would not have wanted to be there in that conversation. Takes them a day to get back. It takes them another day to actually find Jesus once they get back to Jerusalem. The scripture says on the third day, they finally find Jesus. And Jesus is there in the temple. And this 12-year-old boy is teaching the elders. And they rush up. They interrupt the worship service. And they say, why have you done this to us? We have been looking for you. And Jesus very calm, calmly says, why are you looking for me? Did you not know? I had to be in my father's house, busy about my father's business. And once again, they think to themselves, oh, he got us. Once again, how do you parent perfection? It must have been stressful. Not just stressful in the adolescent years, but stressful all the way up through the life of Jesus. There's a special bond between a mother and a child. It's a a bond that um, can't be broken. I've oftentimes been told that when a mother sees her child Walking around, it's like watching her heart walk outside her body. There's an inextricable tie between a mother and a child. Many of you in the crowd, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I can well imagine the pain that Mary must have felt when Jesus was handed over to the Roman rulers. He was executed by way of crucifixion. The Roman soldiers, they 
stretched out his arms. They nailed his hands to a tree. They nailed his feet to the cross. They hoisted him up into the air. And then that Roman soldier drew his sword. And with that sword, he punctured the side of Christ so that blood and water would flow. And Mother Mary, who had been tracking with Jesus all the while, when she saw how the sword punctured the side of her son, it punctured her own soul too, and automatically her mind went back to this story this day in Luke chapter 2 when Simeon looked at her and said, a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the proclamation of Simeon. Simeon no sooner had gotten those words out of his mouth that we're told that a, a woman named Anna shows up. We're, we're introduced to this second main character of the story. Uh, she is a, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She's described as a prophetess. She is the Kay MacArthur of the first century. She is the Beth Moore of Israel. She is a, a woman who can really shuck the corn. I mean, she can bring it. I mean, she can teach with the best of them. She's a prophetess. We are told that um, she'd been married for seven years. And then she was a widow until she was 84. Some translations say for 84 years. Regardless, she is an elderly lady and she is a devout follower of God. Luke says that she worshiped the Lord day and night, fasting and praying. Once again, Luke uh, uses a literary device called a mirrorism. A mirrorism is when you identify the two extremes to communicate totality. He says she worshiped day and night. Those are the two extremes. The implication is she worshiped God all the time. It's kind of like when you were a child and you were outside playing, you walked back in and your mother said to you, you go get in the bathtub because you're dirty from head to toe. Your mother was utilizing a mirrorism and she may not even have known it. But she's saying, you are dirty from top to bottom, from head to toe. Implication is, the totality of your dirt is all over your body. Get in the bathtub and clean it off. This is Luke's way of saying that this woman was a God-fearing woman. She worshiped the Lord. And she fasted and prayed. She comes up on the conversation. She not only recognizes Jesus as the Christ, but then she begins to brag about him. Did you catch what she says? Luke is a masterful storyteller. He just kind of says it in a very succinct way. But he says she began to speak about this child to anyone and everyone looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Oh, I can visualize this, can't you? That Anna is there and, and that as people walk by, she says, hey, do you know who this baby is? Hey, do you know who this baby is? Hey, can I tell you who this baby is? And everybody walked by and said, I have no clue who that baby is. This is the Christ child. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the one that Isaiah foretold. This is the one that the prophets spoke about. This is the long-awaited Messiah. He will bring about redemption for Jerusalem, for Israel, for the entire world. This is Jesus the Christ. Oh, my friends, can you imagine the commotion that this woman created? Every person that passed by. Have you met him? Do you know who this is? You know what our culture needs? We need a few more Annas. We need a few more people who are willing to cause Christian commotion. We need a few more people who are willing to say to anybody and everybody who passes by, hey, do you know who this is? 
This is the long-awaited Christ. It is one thing to recognize Jesus. It is another thing to make much of Jesus. It is one thing to recognize him in his identity. It's another thing to brag about him. And I've discovered that people speak most eagerly about that which they value most highly. Do you know that there is no parent or grandparent that has to take a class on how to brag on their child or grandchild? But you've met the parents and the grandparents, haven't you? I've met them too. You don't have to talk to them very long before they begin to talk about, hey, have you, have you seen a picture of my grandchild? And before I can say, well, no, I have not, there's a picture that comes out on the phone. There's a picture that is pulled out of the wallet and say, hey, this is my grandchild. Do you know what my grandson's doing these days? I do not know what your grandson's doing, but I think you're going to tell me. Absolutely, I'm going to tell you. Wait just a Let me tell you what my grandchild is doing. Let me tell you what my son is doing. Have I told you where my daughter's going to college? Have I told you? And you just go on and on and on. And why is that? Because we speak most eagerly about that which we value most highly. And that's a sobering reality, isn't it? That we have to take classes on how to talk about Jesus. I understand the need for training. I understand the need for helping people to to hone the skill of communicating, doing evangelism. I get that. But fundamentally, we just need some more Annas. We need some more Simeons. We need some more people who recognize the identity of Jesus and then boldly, unashamedly, ask people, do you know who this is? He is the Christ child. What a commotion she must have created. And all the while, Mary and Joseph are just chalking all this up and storing it in their database. And they're just thinking in their mind, wow. Once again, confirmation, he is the Christ, he is the Christ, he is the Christ, he is the Christ. When all this is over, then they go back home. They get back to Nazareth. And Luke just simply says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. On this first Sunday of a brand new year, what can you and I learn from Simeon and Anna? I think there are uh, three things we can learn. When it comes to seeing Christ, there are three things that you and I can learn from Simeon and Anna. The first one is this. They were looking for him. It's remarkable that those who look for Jesus typically find him. People who are looking for a miracle, (laughs) they usually experience one. People who are looking for God to move in their life usually have a story of how God moved in their life. Simeon and Anna were looking for Jesus. They were looking for the Christ. I mean, fundamentally, if you want to see Christ, you got to look for him. Look for Jesus. Now, I know that God is the hound from heaven. He pursues us, and I believe that wholeheartedly. And at the same time as he's pursuing us, we must be seeking after him. And when we seek him, we will find him. Simeon and Anna were intentional. They were intentional. They were looking for the long way to Christ. This year, I want to challenge you to be intentional about seeing Christ. Now, let me let you in that that one of the ways we're going to help each other on the journey this year of seeing Christ is that we're going to ask each other three simple questions. Questions of what, where, and who. That's it. 
What, where, and who? Since, as disciples, we are lifelong believing learners of Christ, what are you learning? What is God teaching you? Because not a one of us can ever get to the point where we say, you know what, I think I've got it. I think I've learned it all. I think I have mastered that subject. No, there is no way we can master the subject of the sovereign Savior. And so all the while, from birth until death, we are learning. We are lifelong believing learners of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. So what are you learning? For the Lord has something in store for you to learn this year. He has something that he wants to teach you. What are you learning? Now where? Where are you going this year? Where are you going in 2016? Jesus said, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, for surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So where are you going this year? Where are you going on mission with Christ? Where are you taking the gospel? Some of us may simply go across the street in Pelham and take the gospel. Some of us may go across the hemisphere and take it to Peru. Some people may go to Alabaster on a mission trip. Others may go to Africa on a mission trip. Some may go to Helena. Others may go to Hungary. Some may go to downtown Birmingham. Some may go halfway around the world. But where are you going in 2016 to take the gospel? It's not a question of if you're going to go. The question is where are you going to go? Where are you going to take the gospel? Where are you going? The third one is who? Who are you trying to reach? I've asked this question before, and I've told you before that if some specific person does not come to your mind in less than three seconds, then you are not being intentional enough. Who are you trying to reach? We cannot say we're trying to reach our neighborhood. We cannot say we're trying to reach our neighbors. We cannot say we're trying to reach our family. We cannot say we're trying to reach our coworkers. Who specifically are you trying to reach? So this year, as we're looking for Christ, we're asking intentional questions. What, where, and who? What are you learning? Where are you going? And who are you trying to reach? You know, when... All of us buy into this, this concept that each one reaches one. Can you imagine what's going to happen in this place? I mean, yes, numerically, the faith family will double, but, but that's, that's, just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, yes, the, the faith family would, would double in size, but the influence, the impact, the experiences, the ministry of this congregation would grow exponentially when you and I become intentional about seeing Christ. Simeon and Anna, they were intentional. They were looking for him. Secondly, they were looking for him as Savior. They were looking for him as Savior. They weren't just looking for a baby. They weren't just looking for any child. They were looking for the Christ child, the Savior of the world. They were looking for him as Savior. And I've already mentioned this, but the way it was revealed to them, to Simeon, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. To Anna, it was because she was dominated by worship, fasting, and prayer. You want to see Christ this year? Seek the Holy Spirit. 
You want to see Christ this year? Then worship him with all of your might. You want to see Christ this year? Incorporate in the natural rhythm of your life fasting and prayer. You want to see Christ? You can. You can be as close to God as you want to be. You can see as much of God as you want to see so long as you're looking for him as Savior. There's some people that think of Jesus as a good man. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the God man. There are some people that see him as a miracle worker. I'm here to tell you, he is the mighty Messiah. There are some people who say he's the son of a carpenter. I came this morning to tell you, he is the son of God. There are some people who say he simply had a way with words. I want to tell you, he's the word who shows the way. I want you to seek after Christ. I want you to see him for who he is, and he is Savior. So this year, look for him as Savior. But third, Simeon and Anna were looking for him as Savior through the eyes of pious purity. I've already told you that both Simeon and Anna are described in the words of Luke as devout, as faithful, as obedient. You remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You want to see Christ this year? Pursue purity. You want to see Christ this year? Make much of holiness. You want to see Christ this year? Devour the very word of God. What's true for Simeon and Anna will also be true for you and for me. This year, what I want for myself is what I want for you. I want to look for him as Savior through the eyes of pious purity. I want this year to be the greatest year in my own personal history with Christ. I want this to be the greatest year that you have ever experienced with Jesus. This year, I want to see Jesus spark revival in his church throughout our country, throughout the world. This year, I I want to see Christ as he emblazons inside of us a hunger for the holy. I, I want to see Christ this year bring marriages back together. I want to see Christ retrieve prodigal sons and daughters. I want to see Christ heal individuals. I want to see Christ give forgiveness. I want to see Christ uh, raise his church. I want to see Christ add to the faith family. I want to see Christ send the faith family. I want to see Christ drive us to our knees in prayer. I want to see Christ move in mighty, majestic ways like never before. I want to see something, and the only way I can explain it is that we are looking for Jesus and Jesus showed up, and Jesus showed off. I want to see Christ move in majestic ways this year. And it doesn't matter if it's becoming more challenging and more problematic for Christ to be seen in our culture. The issue is not the culture. The issue is the church. So you and I have to be men and women of faith. And we simply have to look for him as Savior through the eyes of purity. You and I simply have to look for him 
as Savior through the eyes of pious purity. So this morning, do you see Christ? This morning, do you see Christ? This morning, do you see Christ? If not, you can. Just look for him as Savior through the eyes of purity. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And Lord Jesus, there probably is more than one listening to my voice who does not know you as Savior. And on this day, by the power of your Holy Spirit, please open up their eyes unto your salvation. There may be somebody listening and Lord, they just, they, they want to come and kneel, kneel here at the altar and pray. Oh Father, this altar's open. Draw people to yourself. Let us come and pray to pray asking for direction and asking for vision and asking for boldness and asking for tenacity and asking for an eagerness in evangelism. Oh, Father, help us to come and ask you for the salvation of our spouse, our sons, our daughters, our co-workers, the stranger at the gas station. Help us to come and ask you, oh, Lord. Lord, there may be some people here that need to come and be part of this faith family. You are drawing them here because you have something for them to do in this place and through this place. Oh, Lord, we declare on this first Sunday of a brand new year that we belong to you. We want to see Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.